Podcasting from the heartland of America in the state of Missouri, this is Recovering Faith, a show about increasing or regaining faith, trusting God when it doesn't appear to make sense to do so, and coming to Christianity from a non-Christian or pseudo-Christian worldview. I am your host, Gene Curl, and I wholeheartedly welcome you to this show. Hello, and welcome back to Recovering Faith. Today is the 23rd episode, and today's episode was actually inspired by a podcast that I listened to a while back. A week or so ago, I was working on something in the garage, and while I worked, I was listening to an episode of a religious podcast called Can I Say This at Church, where the host was interviewing Aaron Nequist, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, a pastor and author. The subject of the interview was about Nyquist's most recent book, The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning, which focuses on living intentionally for Christ. Out of the whole conversation, the thing that stuck with me the most from it was when it mentioned that a person's bookshelf and or movie collection show what he or she really believes and is a and is important to take a look and see if your reflect what you say you believe, and if not, it may be time to make some changes. I immediately knew that I needed to make some changes, which I will get into shortly. I never really thought about a person's book and movie collections being a reflection of their faith, but it makes sense. While I don't like to admit it, when I go into a person's home, one of the first things I do is to try to evaluate their movie and book collection, without being too obvious, of course, to determine what type of person they are, what interests they have, and what type of things they occupy their time with. On some level, I have always known that what a person reads or watches says a lot about his or her personality. I know I'm not the only one who checks out other people's books and movie collections to get an idea of what they are like, either, so I have always kept that in mind when I have people over in my house, and I am well aware of the fact that I am being judged based on my movies and books and even on what my book-to-movie ratio is. Still, I had not consciously equated what I spent the most of my time reading or watching as being a reflection upon my faith. Sometimes you know something all along, but you don't consciously acknowledge it until it slaps you in the face. I didn't have any X-rated movies or slasher films, but if I'm honest about it, I had some movies that I would not have been comfortable watching with my grandmother, my pastor, or with any of my friends from church. Heck, I would not have even been comfortable admitting that I own them and may or may not have moved a few movies out of view before I had friends over. I shudder to think of watching the films in question with Jesus, but everything I do, everything I read, and everything I watch is done in the presence of God. Jesus sees everything I do, say, or think. And while, I'm not sh- and while I'm sure he's not judging me, I am sure he wishes that I would make better choices. When I thought about what my movie collection said about my faith, I immediately knew I had to rid some things out of my life to make my private life reflect what I want people to think of me. Uh, though I will admit, I had a difficult time parting with a few things and even made some attempts to justify keeping them. It's always easy to justify what you're currently doing than it is to make a change, even when the change will make your life easier or better, or at least that's the way it was for me. To try to curb my desire to keep things that I knew I shouldn't, 
I wrote out a list of specific criteria that a movie or book must meet before I could keep it, and the justification had to be based on more than entertainment value. One of the big determining factors had to be that if a book or a film took my thoughts away from what is good, or if they made me want to do things that are not worthy or righteous, then they must go. After all these years with me, I know myself pretty well. So I knew myself well enough to be painfully aware of the fact that if I didn't make a criteria to judge my book and movie collection by, that I would justify keeping many things that I knew I should not keep. About a year ago, I got rid of hundreds of movies because I wasted too much time watching the TV. A lot of the movies I got rid of were funny movies that had no other redeeming qualities, but mostly I got rid of movies I didn't watch often or movies I didn't really enjoy watching. For a while, some years ago, I had a bout of depression, and buying movies was a way to cope, and I think that my movie buying got entirely out of hand. At any rate, I'm proud of myself for getting rid of all those movies last summer, but it wasn't far enough or drastic enough to make a big difference. Still, it was a start in the right direction. I am sure that if I would stop wasting so much time on things that don't matter, such as Facebook and television, I could more easily reach my goals and I would probably be able to play The Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash on my guitar already. I jokingly say that if I spent as much time playing my guitar as I spend on the computer and the television, that I would play like Eddie Van Halen, Eric Clapton, or, or Jenny Hendrix. Of course, that's an overestimation of how quickly I could learn, or an overestimation of how much time I waste, or both, but you get the point. So many times, I've been a little tired, so instead of practicing guitar or making metal art to sell on Etsy, I would just sit and watch a dumb movie. And to compound the issue, a lot of the times the movies I watched were not wholesome, were not educational, and did nothing to put me in a better mood. And after the hour or two I wasted, I was farther from God than I was before watching whatever it was that I had watched. One day last week after work, I took a hard look at my movie collection. And while holding each movie, I asked myself if I would be comfortable asking Kathy to watch it with me. Kathy is one of my best friends, and we met at church when I first started attending Wellspring three years or so ago. Kathy is truly one of the best people I have ever had the privilege of knowing, and her relationship with God is on a whole other level than mine. But then again, I don't know what her demons are and what she hides before I come over. Honestly, though, I doubt there is anything about Kathy's life that she has to hide from her friends at church or from her family. Kathy being about as good as a person can be and her relationship with God is part of the reason why one of the criteria for determining whether or not I would keep a movie was whether or not I would be comfortable watching it with her, or if instead I would be embarrassed or ashamed to have her know that I own it in the first place. I cleaned house and got rid of over 200 movies. When would you add that to the number or to the 300 or so movies I got rid of last summer and the 80 or so I still have left, it is a painful illustration of just how much of a problem I had. I am ashamed to admit that whenever I knew Kathy was coming over to my house, I quickly removed some movies from my shelf and hid them behind the shelf. I logically knew that if I felt the need to hide the films, then they were things that I should not be watching in the first place but I always found a way to justify viewing them, but no more. I want to be the type of person, when I am at home alone, that the people at church think I am. 
A life of hypocrisy is not good, and it stuns a person's relationship with God and with other people as well. An example of the type of cinema that I got rid of is the HBO television series Game of Thrones, a show that is masterful at storytelling and masterful at cinema, but is rife with gratuitous blood, gore, violence, nudity, is perverse, and has no real redeeming qualities. Even the heroes on Game of Thrones are horrible people and not worth rooting for. In the show, everyone is too busy killing each other and fighting for the Iron Throne to notice the Night King and his massive army of undead soldiers, slowly but steadily approaching to end all life. To be quite honest, if the army of undead killed the entire population of Westeros, it would be all the better because there is not one among them that is good, and even the best of them kill without remorse, worship idols, cheat, steal, torture, commit acts of incest and rape, and indulge in promiscuity and drink copious amounts of alcohol. Role models the Game of Thrones heroes are not. I have thought about ridding my life from such filth for quite a long time, but I could just not get myself to do it, and many times I would take movies off my shelf and throw them into a box, only to put them back the next day, or sometimes the same day. When I heard the statement that my movie collection reflects what I believe in and hold as important more accurately than does what I say, that is what pushed me over the ledge. How much I had previously enjoyed watching a specific film or show had no determining factor in my decision on whether or not to keep it. People can enjoy all sorts of things that are not good for them, but the enjoyment of something that is bad for you is not a sufficient reason for not abandoning the practice, habit, or action. I'm not just trying to get rid of negative things in my life, but I'm also trying to live more intentionally for Christ and to fill my time with things that are worthy and productive. The Bible says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10:31. I can't watch filth or gratuitous violence to the glory of God. But I can play the guitar for the glory of God. I can write podcasts to the glory of God. I could read wholesome and unlifting books to the glory of God. And I can make art to the glory of God. I want to follow the admonition of Paul the Apostle. Quote, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8 I've been a Christian for a long time, but though I know I am saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and faith alone, not of anything I can do, least I boast, I am not sure that my private life and actions reflect that faith, and I want and need that to change. If the life of a Christian is indistinguishable from the lives of those in the world, then there is a problem. As humans, we have no choice but to be in the world. But as Christians, we have to make the choice to not be like the world. I'm not trying to judge anyone or telling anyone else that they have to change their behavior or change such and such about their life, or that they must get rid of movies or books. That's between you and God. I examined my life and determined that changes needed to be made, and I, need, I needed to live more intentional for Christ. And I also determined that I could make better use of my time. As a natural result, some things had to be eliminated from my life, and I had to be careful what I filled that time void with. And I made this choice on my own, without any coercion, without anyone asking me or suggesting that I do it, and without any influence or prodding from anyone. It was just that I got I was convicted that this is something that I needed to do to have a better relationship with Christ and to better my life. 
and I'm not thinking that I'm any better than anyone else who isn't doing it, but this is what I needed to do. I've found that whenever I try to make positive changes in my life, there's always someone who will try to rain on my parade by making me feel like an idiot or making, uh, for making changes, or will try to convince me not to make any changes. Some people I know think I'm crazy for getting rid of some movies and shows and say that they don't think it matters what you watch. But of course, those people don't go to church and just believe in God in a general, undefined, and ambiguous way. Other people, when they find I am trying to make positive changes, take it upon themselves to corrupt me and put an end to my progress towards bettering myself. There is, I think, a tendency among humans to look back upon and miss things they have given up in their pursuits of God and in their efforts to better their lives. The Bible is full of examples of people who longingly looked back on their old lives, even when their old life was unfulfilling or painful, such as the children of Israel wanting to go back to Egypt and to slavery. But the Bible is also full of clear illustrations that show, without a doubt, that God is not pleased with us longing for old lives. When we give up something, God wants us to truly give it up and not keep thinking about it and wishing we could go back to that place. Continuing seeing that person or persons, or continuing doing an activity that we have given up, we can never move forward if we insist on holding on to things from the past. The children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians for hundreds of years, and when Moses came along, there was no one alive among them who had actually experienced a time of freedom, as slavery and hardship was what they were born into and all they knew. Praying for deliverance was a common prayer, and many of those praying no longer had faith in what they were praying for and had given up all hope of freedom. Most everyone by now has heard of the Academy Award-winning movie, Twelve Years a Slave. Well, after 400 years a slave, who could truly blame the children of Israel for giving up hope of deliverance? Once the children of Israel were freed through many mighty miracles from the hand of God, they did not make it far before they started to complain against Moses and against God, and before they started to want to return to their old life. It always baffles me how quickly they forgot how difficult and unpleasant their previous lives were, and how they forgot the mighty workings of God so quickly. Many Bible scholars extrapolate from the verses in Exodus that it took the children of Israel approximately 17 days to reach their camp at the Red Sea, and they made camp there eight days. When the Egyptian army was seen approaching, approximately 25 days after the exodus from Egypt, some of the children of Israel cried out and said, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Exodus 14, 11-12 The people had already forgotten all that God had done for them despite the fact that even at that point he was providing a cloud by day and a pillar of a fire by night. Once the children of Israel reached Mount Sinai, they again quickly lost faith when Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. And not only did they want to return to Egypt to a life of bondage and servitude, they also made an idol to go before them, worshipped the idol, and gave in to all sorts of evil practices and lasciviousness. When Lot and his family were saved from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were the only righteous people there. The night before the destruction of the cities, a mob of people wanted Lot to send out the visiting angels or his daughters so they could gang rape them. 
Yet, when Lot and his family were leaving, Lot's wife could not resist the urge to look back longingly at the city, despite being commanded by an angel not to do so. And she was turned into a pillar of salt as a result. My mother likes to say that when people give their lives to God, they like to keep the devil on the string, so just in case it doesn't work out with God. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Matthew 6.24 And Paul taught that we are either willing slaves to sin or willing slaves to righteousness. Romans 6.15-23 If we try to live in both worlds, we are not going to be satisfied, and such a life does not bring about salvation, as we are not fully accepting Jesus as our Savior. When we live in the world, but also try to live a life for God, we don't enjoy our sinful life because of the constant guilt we feel for our actions, as we know with full confidence that they are wrong. And we are not engaged with God because we are devoting our time to the world instead of to Him. One man approached Jesus and said he wanted to follow Him. But he first had to go and say goodbye to his family. And Jesus' response was, No man who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 61-62 To put the illustration in terms that can be easily understood, I will relate the relationship to God with a romantic relationship. Imagine that I started dating a wonderful woman, but instead of enjoying my time with her and showing her the respect she deserves, I was constantly comparing her to my ex and spending many hours a day pining for my ex and wishing we were still together. Not only would that not be fair to either of us, especially to my new girlfriend, but it would be it would also be ensuring that the relationship would not be happy and would ultimately end in heartache. No one wants to date a person who is stuck in the past, and God doesn't want us to follow him unless we are ready to actually commit ourselves to him. When I was in college, I went on a date with a young woman who was a widow, and all through our first date, all she wanted to talk about was her late husband. And while I respect the fact that she will always love him, I was not impressed that she was not getting to know me and only seemed to want me to be just like her deceased husband. At the end of the date, I politely told her that I was not interested in seeing her anymore and thought she needed more time to get over her husband before dating. Otherwise, she was just wasting the time and was not being fair to whomever she was dating. I think what we talk about, what we spend money on, and what we spend our leisure time doing says magnitudes about us as a person and about our faith and dedication to God. When a person says that they have always been interested in a specific subject, but in the 30 plus years that you have known them, he or she had never mentioned it even once before, their claim to have always been interested in this subject is subject to best. Likewise, if we say we're interested in what God has said, yet never open the Bible and spend all of our time on worldly pursuits, our actions show the truth that we are not all that interested in God. The good news, though, is regardless of how far we have strayed or how long we have been gone, Jesus will eagerly accept us back with open arms. When we were kids, my younger sister had a massive crush on a celebrity but she denied it at the time. But based on how much she constantly talked about him, we all knew that she was, to borrow a term from friend Al in the movie Bambi, Twitter-pated. It is more often than not 
easy to determine what a person likes and what they don't, and it is often not what he or she says it is. Ralph Waldo Emerson is reported to have said, A man is what he thinks about all day long, and I can't argue with that. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Which could be summed up by saying, Blessed are those who voluntarily submit to every change God asks them to make for his or her life. Most faithful Christians will say they would willingly do anything they were asked to do and would give up anything they were asked to give up. But when that is tested, they fall short of their previous resolve. I know people who compare themselves to the heroes or heroines of the Bible, and when the Bible characters did the right thing in a situation like Daniel, when he prayed despite knowing he could be put to death for it, they say that they would do likewise. The same people, when the characters in the Bible did not do what was right, like when Peter denied Jesus, they say they would not have felt like that and they would have done the right thing. If any of us truly believe that when we say it, then we are either deceiving ourselves or else we have an overinflated opinion of ourselves. Everyone fails sometimes. It is what we do with that failure that matters. Where Peter once denied Christ, he later willingly gave his life praising Jesus instead of saving it by denying Jesus. I have known many Christians who claim they would do anything God asked them to do. Yet when it becomes apparent, The thing that they put the most value on is what God is asking them to give up they buckle. Like the young ruler who asked Jesus what he must do to be saved, and then left sorrowful when he was told to give up his power and his vast wealth. God may not be asking us to give up our money, but whatever it is will likely not be easy for us to give up. The issue with the young man was not his wealth. It was that he placed his wealth above God and his desires. Anything we place above God is something we must eliminate from our life expeditiously and with great prejudice. I don't much like chocolate, and in fact, I hate most forms of it. So, if I was asked to give up chocolate, it would be no big whoop. But if I was asked to give up fishing, I would have to do some serious soul-searching. Now, I highly doubt that I would be asked to give up fishing, since I don't place it above my relationship with God, I listen to religious podcasts or pray most of the time I'm fishing, and there are no negative impacts on my life or relationship as a result of fishing. The point I was making, though, was that when we put things in a higher place than they deserve to be, or if they take our thoughts away from God, then we need to reevaluate the situation and get rid of them if need be, regardless of how much it hurts. Jesus said that it is better to remove a body part such as a hand or an eye, and to go to heaven without them, than it is to keep them and go to hell. Jesus wasn't suggesting self-mutilation, but he was suggesting that whatever keeps us from God, regardless of how much we love it or how much we will miss it, it is better to do without it and go to heaven than to keep it and to go to hell. Even on the less extreme side, it is better to rid ourselves of things that distract us from what is important so we have a better relationship with God than it is to keep them and have our relationship suffer. God never leaves us, so if we feel that God is distant, we need to move closer to Him, because it was us that drifted away, not God. It may be difficult at first to change your life to live more deliberately for God, but I can promise you that while it may not make your life easier, it will make it more worthwhile and more fulfilling. 
above all, remember, God loves you and longs to have a relationship with you. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Faith Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe so you never miss an episode. A new episode goes live every Wednesday. If you have questions, comments, have suggestions for a future episode, or if you would like to be a guest, you can contact me through my website, genecurl.com. Remember, it's gene like the unit of biological heredity and curl like a curl on your head. Please leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or whichever streaming service you use. God bless you and keep you till the next episode.